You're listening to the CTK O'Fallon Podcast. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to take you tonight to the book of John chapter number 13. John chapter number 13. And uh, I'm going to ask you to stand together for the reading of the Word. It's Bible study night, but we want to talk about something that is very important. And last night we had our first men's uh, prayer and foot washing service. And tomorrow, or next week rather, on uh, uh, the same night, Tuesday night, next week will be ladies' prayer, special prayer meeting, and foot washing. And uh, it is something that is not uh, uh, probably easily understood in our modern context, especially among those that are not familiar with the passage or the practice in Scripture. And so I wanted to take time last night. I I gave a little introductory remarks. And for all the men that were here, thank you for being here. We had a wonderful time together last night in the Holy Ghost. Can I get an amen? Amen Amen from those that are here with us. And I, I, I shared some scriptures here. And then somebody, I can't remember who it was, said it would be really good for you. Maybe it was you, Brother Ryan, or somebody else. It seemed like all of them said it would be really good for you to talk about this with the whole church. And so I came tonight. uh, Today I had other intentions, but I thought, I think it would be right for us to talk about this because this is so critical and so important. So let's go to John chapter number 13. And I want to read together, if I can, just a few verses together here. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that His hour was come, that He should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved His own which were in the world, He loved them unto the end. And supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray Him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into His hand, that He was come from God and went to God, He riseth from supper, and laid aside his garments, and took a towel, and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin, and began to wash the disciples' feet, and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Then cometh he to Simon Peter, and Peter saith unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? And Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. And that's interesting because Peter knew exactly what he was doing. He was washing his feet. But Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. And Simon Peter saith unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus saith to him, He that is washed... Needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit, and ye are clean, but not all. For he knew who would betray him, therefore he said, Ye are not all clean. So after he had washed their feet and had taken his garment and was set down again, he said unto them, Know ye what I have done unto you? Ye call me Master and Lord, and ye say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash 
one another's feet. I want you to read that with me together. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done unto you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If ye know these things, happy are ye if ye do them. If ye know these things, happy are ye if ye do them. Which means, if you don't know these things, you're not going to be happy whether you do them or not. But if you know these things, happy are ye if ye do them. Amen. So turn to somebody and, and ask them, what's the deal with foot washing? That's my title tonight. That's my title tonight. What's the deal with foot washing? What's, what's the deal with foot washing? <laughs> or, or we could throw another title in there. Why feet, Lord? <laughs> maybe, maybe that would be a better one or something. I don't know. But there is a powerful principle that Christ was telling us, and he definitely looked at his apostles and said, you need to do this. So what is it that he's asking us to do? We need to know that tonight. We're going to look at that. Would you lay your Bibles down and let's ask the Lord to have his way. We need the help of God's spirit, amen, to grasp everything his word is saying. Lord, in Jesus' name, God, I thank you tonight that we could gather together in your presence, God, right here tonight, that your word is is so available to us. And I ask over these next few moments that you would strengthen and edify the church, that you would challenge, that you would speak to us, God, Lord. Give us, Lord, clear direction for our life. And we are here to give you our life, God. We are here to obey. We are here to honor you tonight. Lord, we want to do that in every way possible. I pray, let your blessing be upon your church tonight. And God, we give you the glory and the honor and praise right now in Jesus' name name. Somebody clap your hands unto the Lord tonight. God, I thank you tonight. Lord, I bless your name tonight. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise the name of the Lord. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated on this Wednesday night. Thank you for being here in the house of the Lord. Thank you for everyone that is joining us online as well. We are praying for those who are sick and who are dealing with uh, sicknesses and other things and those that are staying in touch, those that join us by way, amen, of the internet, not able to be here tonight. Thank you, amen, for being here. Sister Donna Terry did send a message and said, thank the church for praying, amen, and she is getting better every day and uh, doing great. And uh, I called her, I think it was Tuesday morning, I called her and I said, Sister Donna, how are you doing? For those that don't know, she has covid just worry, how are you doing? And she said, Pastor, I'm doing good. She said, I've just been working, working, working all around the house. And I said, well, you got to slow down. You got to take it easy. She said, you know, that's what my daughter-in-law said. She said, it's the steroids. So I said, well, take it easy. But she is doing better. And, and uh, we, we, we are glad to hear about that. But praying for the rest. I know there's many others that are sick as well. And we do keep you in our prayers. 
I was privileged to do a minister session this past Monday evening late uh, online. Thank God for technology, and you're able to connect with people around the world without ever leaving the comforts of your home. And so it was in the evening, and uh, I, I shared some things, uh, just sort of following after the leading of the Lord that God had laid on my heart to share with this group of ministers. And one of the things that I had outlined... I talked to them about relationships within church, within the body of Christ, and you've heard me talk about that here, especially over the last year or so. We, we did several different series here. One was the Harmony series, and I, I could think of others. One was the Becoming series out of Ephesians, the Harmony series out of Romans, and it's amazing how much the Bible talks about uh, uh, our interpersonal relationships with one another, especially within the church. And uh, it's so important and so paramount. And I shared with them three things that I'll give you tonight just here as the intro. And that is this, that first in our life, in, in, in three focuses in our life. Number one, the first thing is that we are only as alive as our prayer and our devotion life with God. So we are only as strong as we are only as alive as our prayer and our devotion life with God. So if your prayer life with God is is uh, limited to just uh, Sunday morning and Wednesday nights, well, that's about the measure of your walk with God. And uh, But if your life with God, if your devotion life, your prayer, your devotion life, your communion with God is something that is every day, that's what God desires. And you are only as alive spiritually as your prayer and your devotion life. The second thing is that you are only as powerful, you are only as powerful as your submission Amen. Your submission to the kingdom of God and, and, and how that submission plays out is spiritual authority in your life, that you are allowing God to have voice in your life, that you are allowing the word of God to have leverage in your life. I tell everybody this, there needs to be at some point someone that has veto power in your life. When I grew up, I had a pastor, I had a youth pastor, I had parents, thank God for them. I had mentors in my life. I had a whole host of people that had veto power in my life. And even still to this day, I try to keep myself, I try to be intentional about it as I get older, keeping people in my life that are of high spiritual character, that have veto power in my life. And, and then in the body of Christ, the Bible teaches us that we are to be submitted one to another, that there is no way that we live for God, that we do not have to operate in submission. Even within marriage, within the home, there is to be submission within the home and mutual submission there in that relationship. We are only as powerful as our submission to spiritual authority. Remember the men that tried to cast out the devil off the one man and the devils cried out and said, well, Jesus we know and Paul we know, but who are you? These, these were because they were rogue agents and they, oh, they well, we thought we're just going to use the name of Jesus Christ, but there was no submission in their life. And there's power when you're submitted. The centurion, a Roman Gentile centurion comes to Jesus and says, I have power on this earth. I say to this man, go and this man come. And he said, I know you are the one that has all authority. And so if you'll just speak the word only, my servant will be healed. Her, uh, uh, healed. And he spoke and invoked Jesus in understanding that I'm giving you this issue and it is submitted to you. He understood spiritual authority. So you're only as powerful in Christ as your spiritual authority. And then the third thing I shared was we are only as effective, we are only as effective as our harmony with the body of Christ. 
We are only as effective as our harmony with the body of Christ. I can have a prayer and a devotion life every single day, and I can have, I, I, I can be submitted to certain people in my life, but if I'm not in right relationship with the body of Christ, my ministry will not be effective. And by ministry, I'm not just talking tonight about me as pastor. I'm talking about us as individual Christians. Every single one of us, every believer has a ministry. Can I get an amen? We have a ministry, and my ministry is only as effective as my harmony within the body of Christ. As a man, I'm, I'm married, and that harmony begins in the home. If my wife and I are not in harmony there, I can't expect there to be a, a, an, a, an effective uh, uh, ministry to have an effective ministry. If I'm not in harmony with the body of Christ, that doesn't mean that there's not ever issues that you have to deal with and address, but there has to be harmony in the body of Christ. And so as I shared those things, it was interesting because it brings us to John chapter 13 and a very unique story. This is the only time in the gospel account, this is the only time in the New Testament that this story is recorded ever. It's absent out of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Not because they were missing it, but many times the gospels are just the highlights reel, if you will, will of Jesus Christ. The highlights reel uh, of what Christ is doing. And so we don't see everything. In fact, John would say in his gospels, he said, I suppose if we wrote everything, if we took time to write everything that God's done, the world couldn't contain all the books. If we put every testimony of every person of every life that he touched, how could we put all those stories together? I mean, just on the day of Pentecost, there were 120 in that room. They had 120 different stories. They could write 120 long books, probably series, to talk about the work that God did to get them there. And then before that day was out, 3,000 were added. That's 3,000 more series that you could add. I mean, you think about everything that God has done, because isn't that the way your life works? God doesn't just do something once. Come on. You walk into the church and you give your life to God and you're filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost and you get victory over sin. But then all of a sudden you look back over your life and realize I may not have been answering him, but he was with me all the time. And he kept me and he brought me here and he was leading and he was doing things. And so John says we can't record everything. And so we see the highlights real so we have to understand then the gospel writers, as we believe they were moved by the Holy Ghost, but they were writing with a mission and they were writing to a particular audience and they were writing for a certain reason to establish some certain things. And John's gospel is the last of the gospels to be written. John died somewhere around 90 AD, they believe. And so it was somewhere around this time that he would write his epistles and he would write the gospel according to John. And he would give it to us. And in his telling of the Last Supper account, he doesn't go through the communion like the other gospels go through. He does refer to it. He does refer to the fact that they had bread there. And he does tell the story later of how he would break the bread and he would give that to Judas. But in this account that we read of the Last Supper... It is telling of this act that Christ would do of washing feet. 
And so it's significant. But in the context that it is given, it is given to us to show us the ministry that Christ was about to do. And Christ would often use a parable to illustrate a story or or a point. But here he acts out, if you will, the parable by meeting a need that was present in the room. Now, we're removed from this in modernity. Here we are in in modern times, and we don't practice the custom of washing of feet like they would have back then. It doesn't have meaning to us in the Western Hemisphere by and large, so a lot is lost on this moment. And if we just approach the text and we read it, uh, the first thing that stands out is he's washing their feet, and this is so foreign to us that we can get tunnel vision and we just read the account and we walk away and think this is just about washing feet when it was about much more. It was layered, if you will. It was deeper than that. And we could take, I'm I'm not saying that we do, but we could walk away from this and where he says, ye ought to wash one another's feet. We could say, okay, this is something Jesus told us to do and in our, our attempt to obey and our attempt to act this out, we we would practice a foot washing ceremony or service like we did, much like we did last night, much like the ladies would do next week where we, we have pails of water and we come in and we take our shoes and socks off and we take turns and we're praying for one another and, and we get down there and, and basically we get their feet wet, we pray for them and we dry their feet off and that's it. It, it, it doesn't have the same effect if we just do that and we walk away and say, okay, well, I obeyed the Lord's command. And then we get in our car and we walk out and we leave people that are suffering around us without ever attempting to meet the need or see that it goes deeper than that. And so Jesus was using an example, and that's what we don't want to have happen. We want to understand what is Christ saying? Well, there's an interesting thing here. Now, before the feast of the Passover when Jesus knew that his hour was come. Here we are before the Passover is actually starting. That whole time they would call the Passover, and there's arguments about when it took place, but in actuality, what Jesus shared with the disciples was not the Passover supper, although it would have been akin to it, but he was instituting something new. We call it the Lord's Supper. It was a remembrance meal that would would signify what he would do on the cross in that moment. That's what's taking place on that Last Supper. We know in this account, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, that that's what takes place here. We know that he was not, it was not on the Passover because Jesus Christ himself would die on the cross before the Passover would take place. The Passover, if you go back, and you do the the calendar counting, and it can be confusing, but the Passover would start on sundown. And remember, they sought to get his body off of the cross so before the Passover happened because they couldn't do any work on the Passover. So they were coming and saying, hey, can we have the body of Jesus before the Passover? Let's get him off off the cross and let, let's, let's bury him in this tomb. Let's borrow this tomb. And then after the Passover takes place, then 
then we can come back and, and we can tend to this right. And so we know that Jesus Christ would die as the Lamb, for the Passover would die before Passover took place. The Lamb would be slain before sundown the day before Passover. That was the significance of what Jesus did on the cross. And so here we are before the Passover, and Christ is trying to teach them one final thing. He's already told them different things, and He's already revealed Himself, but now He is trying to let them know that I am the Passover lamb. I am getting ready to do something that has never been done before that no one else on this earth can do. And he tells them, you don't know what I am doing right now, but you will know hereafter. He's letting them know it's not going to make sense to you right now. But there is going to come a moment where you're going to have a, aha, it's real. This is what he meant. And look at what John says here in verse number 3. It says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he was come from God and that he went to God. This is telling us That Jesus Christ, because of who he was, would get up and he would act out this moment. We know who Jesus is. I'm thankful. John, or or rather Peter said, thou art the son of the living God. Jesus is God manifest in the flesh. Amen. Amen. How many believe there's one God? That one God, Jesus said, No man hath seen God at any time. But Jesus Christ is the unknowable God made knowable. It's the unseeable God or the invisible God made visible, manifest before us. For it pleased God that in Him should all the fullness dwell. Jesus was not another part of a committee of God. Jesus was God manifest in the flesh. I am that I am. He made that claim. And make no mistake, that is why they crucified him and they killed him. Because he said, I am that I am. He said, I am he. Before Abraham was, I am. Amen. Amen. So he was not letting them know that I'm another part of God. He was telling them that I am God. I am the one that that is, is from everlasting to everlasting. And so here, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, given him all power to do all things, and that he was come from God and that he went from God. He's, he's, He's God manifest in the flesh. Jesus because of this, would carry this act out. What is he getting ready to do? He's getting ready to go to the cross. So let's go to Philippians chapter number two. Look at what what it says in Philippians chapter number two. Paul writing later, and this is a beautiful passage of scripture, which we'll just highlight here. We We won't go to this, get too deep in this, but two and five. Philippians chapter number two and five. Let this mind be in you, which was also in 
Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Okay, so this is some old English that comes in here. But he was God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant. What's that? What's that saying? Jesus Christ was God manifest in the flesh. And he was not robbing God of any glory by being God in humanity on this earth. But when he came, he did not come declaring thrones and palaces, but he came in the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of men. He was born as a baby, for goodness sakes. He came as the most vulnerable possible being that he could be. And he fashioned himself. He found in fashion as a man, and he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven, of things in earth, and of things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So he stands up and look at what he does in verse 4. Go back to John chapter 13, verse 4. He rises from supper and he laid aside his garments and he took a towel and he girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet. There are so many prophecies that are coming to pass in this moment that he is playing out. He takes off his garments. He lays aside his identity. He would have dressed as a rabbi, we know, because they identified him as such. And he took those garments uh, 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 that, that would signify he was a teacher, and he would lay those aside, and he would take on him an apron of a slave or a servant. And as that, then he would get down. In Isaiah, it talks about him laying aside things. It talks about him being poured out. And he would pour out this water upon their feet. And as he would wash their feet, he said, what I do knowest not now. You don't know now what I'm doing, but thou shalt know hereafter. What's he talking about? He, what has he been talking about in the Last Supper? He, took, he said, take this bread, which is my body. Take, take this wine, which is my blood. This symbolizes the broken body and the blood of Jesus Christ. It symbolized what he would do on the cross. And just as he would have that supper with them, memorializing that he was instituting a memorial supper, that even today we, we are, uh, 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 it's an ordinance that we practice, that we partake of. We call it the communion, where we remember what Jesus Christ did for us. And now he is acting this out in a parable. And he is, he is lowering himself down to wash their feet. Now, we know it was a custom of that time that they would wash feet. They would have a basin of water for them to wash their feet as they would wear sandals and their feet would get dirty as they would walk through the city or they would walk through the roads. And so when you came into a house, a good host would provide water for you to wash their feet. But usually that was right as you first entered into the house. 
And while it was understood and that was a custom of their culture, we know that it was not also always practiced because we go in another place and we find him in in a, a man by the name of Simon's house and there the woman with the alabaster box comes and they condemn her and Jesus said, I came in and you didn't even give me water to wash my feet. So not everybody would always observe it at that time. And when they did observe it, it would be as you first entered into the house. And here they are in a setting. We don't know exactly how it is, but, but there's, there's been, you can, you can look up and read all the things, but be, before, besides getting bogged down to the details and how they would be sitting, they would not have been sitting in a round table like we would today. That would not have been their custom. They, they most likely would have been sitting on a couch of sorts or a mat of sorts, and they, they would gather around the table, and they would often lean on their left arm. They did not have chairs, and they would lay towards the table with their feet stretched out away from them, and with their right hand, they would grab that food that was already prepared. It had already been sliced. It was already bite-sized. It was a total different experience than what we would have. And here, not at the beginning of walking into the room, but, but rather almost during the meal, there is this shocking moment where Jesus gets up right in the middle of the meal and he lays aside his garment and he puts on this apron. And now as they are laying at the table, their feet out, he begins going around the room and he begins washing their feet. It is also known, I was reading in, in one of my many study Bibles today, the Cultural Background Study Bible. There's a reason why I have all these study Bibles. It's a good thing. And it said in there that, that though the rabbis later would talk about humility, that the, the rabbis were very much valuing social rank. And in that time, it was custom, it was expected for the disciples of a rabbi to serve the rabbi. So the rabbi did not serve the disciples, but the disciples of that particular rabbi would serve the rabbi, those followers, those adherents. But one thing that was not expected of them in serving the rabbi was that they were not even expected to wash the rabbi's feet. That would be left for you to do on your own or for the lowest servants in the house. It didn't take, it didn't take much schooling or prep for you to be able to wash somebody's feet. Anybody could do that. And they were not expected. So you've got to imagine the cultural statement that is being made when Jesus as a rabbi gets up and does something that is not even expected of disciples of other rabbis. And Peter says, Lord, what are you doing? And he says, you don't know what I'm doing now, but you will know hereafter. And then he says, Lord, you will never wash my feet. And he's saying, look, if you don't let me do this, you will have no part in me. What was he talking about? He was talking about humbling himself. He would humble himself to the lowest point to where he would be stripped naked, beaten, hung on a tree, on a tree cursed of all men. And this was how he would serve humanity by meeting a need that they could not meet. Only Jesus could die for our sins. Only Jesus could be the perfect atoning sacrifice. And he said, if I don't do this, you have no part with me. 
You have no part with me. And so Christ is talking about the ultimate service. And Peter then says, well, wait, Lord, then don't just wash my feet. Wash my hands. Wash my head. Get all, get all of me. I, I want as much. And, and the Lord says, no, that, 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 that is not required. What I am about to do in the humble act that I am about to carry out it will be sufficient. It will be all that is needed. I'm thankful today that the cross is not insufficient. I'm thankful today, amen, that what Jesus did 2,000 years ago is enough for us tonight. Somebody clap your hands unto the Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah. It's sufficient. It is sufficient. So he's talking about how he would serve humanity. Jesus saith, he that is washed needeth not save wash his feet, but is clean every whit, and ye are clean, but not all. For he knew who should betray him, therefore he said, ye are not all clean. So after he had washed their feet. Now we don't know whether Peter was the first one, or maybe Peter wasn't the first one that he would wash feet, but we only see, or John only records the engagement that Jesus Christ would have with Peter, but after he had washed their feet. Think about that, if you will, for, for a minute. We know that the 12 would have been there with him, but is it possible that there would have been more? I don't know. But how long does it take to wash 12 men's feet? Imagine the moment, imagine the time, imagine, imagine the awkwardness, imagine the touching moment as Jesus Christ goes around, here the one to whom they have just sang Hosanna, Hosanna in the streets, and now he takes time to wash their feet. We read through it so fast, but imagine how the minutes must have gone. Imagine how long as he goes around the room, every single one. Imagine the anticipation as one sitting there, I don't understand this, and they're waiting. That 10th person, that 11th person, that 12th person, as Jesus would come wash their feet. He then goes aside, dries his hands, takes the apron off, puts on his rabbinical garments again, whatever it was that he was wearing there. And he sits down, and says to them, know ye what I have done to you? Ye call me Master and Lord, and ye say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet." For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done unto you. Verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If you know these things, happy are ye if you do them. Jesus Christ in his parting moments with them before he would go to the cross, and afterwards, of course, we know he spent 40 days on earth after the resurrection was with them. We see, I think, eight, eight or ten times that they were gathered together after that in Scripture, but 
That again is just the highlights, 40 days expounding their minds, their memory. But this last moment here, he chose this time to do this, not later. He chose before the cross to teach them this, not after. Not after the victory and after the triumph. He chose before the cross. He chose to show them the depth of his love and the length of his service that he would go when they didn't understand it. And then in this moment, he looks to them and says, so ye ought to wash one another's feet. Today, (laughs) our feet being dirty is not a need like it was back 2,000 years ago. Now you still have stinky feet. (laughs) But it being a need like it was back then is not as pronounced as it was today. Jesus was looking at a need in that moment in the room. One that was looked down upon back then. Something that was not desirable back then. And he says, I will lead. I must do this. I must serve. I must stoop down and serve. And then he says, if I do this, you are not better than me. And you also ought to wash one another's feet. It's not just about humility, but it is about service. It's about giving yourself. You say, well, I don't like to touch feet. That's the point. There are other ways that we wash feet today. Because it's when you serve someone at their point of need. Especially when you serve someone when it's not comfortable especially when you serve someone that can't help themselves and you give of yourself. Jesus looks at them and says, so ye ought to wash one another's feet. And I wonder if we really understand the full breadth of what it means to be in the body of Christ. What is the body of Christ supposed to be? It is supposed to be His body. It is supposed to be the agents and the organs and the appendages of His will and His purpose and His mind doing what He desires to do. I am not a part of the body of Christ and dictate what I do. I am a part of the body of Christ when I do what He wants me to do. So often we come to church and we approach church as something that we're going to fit into our life. And that's not how it works. We are to be crucified with Christ. We are to be functioning as what He wants And we serve Him by doing what He wants us to do. He looks at us and says, so ye ought to wash one another's feet. So we practice the spiritual exercise 
of foot washing. Now, some people will fight over this, and they'll squabble over it and say, well, <clears throat> it's just a teaching and a principle here, so we don't have to act it out. So we're not going to do it. And I, I'm going to say this. You can make it to heaven today in 2021 without washing people's feet in the literal realm. But you cannot make it to heaven as the bride and body of Christ without washing people's feet in the spiritual realm. It's not an option. He looks at us and says, this is what you ought to do to serve one another, to serve one another. We've gotten so far from this. I'm just as guilty as you are to where where church becomes just about us and we we can come into the house and we can worship and man, wasn't wasn't worship great today or or, wow, pastor, he preached all right today or or, I like that preacher. Man, that was a really great part. And all of a sudden church is about what we, we're we're sitting back there with scorecards, if you will. And we're ready with our spiritual medals to give gold and silver and bronze. Hear me. Instead of coming in Christ said, what you should be doing is you come to serve. You come to serve others. He said, you don't know what I'm doing right now. What you're seeing is I'm laying aside my rabbinical robes. What you're seeing is I'm taking on the apron of a servant or a slave. What you're seeing is I'm doing something that's taboo that you wouldn't even want to do. That's what you see. He says, but you don't really know what I'm doing. Because in a little while, I'm going to go up a hill and I'm going to carry a cross and I'm going to be beaten and I'm going to be bruised, but I'm going to do something that nobody else can do and I'm going to give my life. I'm going to breathe my last breath for someone else. And he looked at them and said, so you ought to wash one another's feet. Could it be that in that moment, in that room, there was a revelation that came to those 12 apostles or those 11, if you will? Those 11 apostles of what he meant? Judas would betray him. Jesus would go back to supper after he washed his feet. He would go back to supper. You can read it on. And he would say, someone's going to betray me. Who is it going to be, Lord? He said, it'll be whoever I take and give bread to and dip with me. There in that moment, he gives it to Judas and he tells him, go do what you have to do. Judas left, but they still didn't get it. They thought, oh, he's the, money, he's the treasurer. He's going to tend to some things that the Lord has for him to do. But in that moment, it says that Satan entered into him. And there those 11 were left around, isn't it? Isn't it interesting that of those 11 that were left, And even Matthias, who was sent as his replacement in Acts chapter number 1, according to the traditional accounts, every single one of them would die a martyr's death for the cause of the gospel of Jesus Christ, except for John. 
John was the only one that didn't die a martyr's death. But he was, one, one extreme account says that he was dipped in a vat of boiling oil. We don't know if that's true or not, but that's, that's one account that says of what he may have gone through. But we do know that he was imprisoned and exiled on the Isle of Patmos. Maybe the reason why John put this story in his gospel at the end is because it had more meaning to him. After he'd watched the other 11 give their life, just like Jesus had done, they had served others. They had washed their feet, not just literally washing their feet, but they had gone the full distance that Christ did. What did he say? He says, The servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. Tells traditional accounts of those that were beheaded. James was beheaded. Peter was crucified upside down. Those that were torn asunder, filleted alive, run through with a lance. This is the traditional accounts of Bartholomew and Thomas and Andrew, and it would go on with all 11 of those apostles. They would give their life, and here John is pinning his gospel at the end. And what does he remember about the Last Supper that the others didn't tell? It's Jesus saying, I'm going to humble myself and I'm going to serve one another. What are we to do in the the body of Christ? We are to serve one another. And if you know these things, happy are ye if ye do them. There is a joy. Can I tell you there is a joy that comes from serving God? Yes, there is. Yeah. You and I are the currency of the kingdom of God. And we do not choose. I heard a great preacher say this one time. We do not choose how God wants to spend us. God chooses how he wants to spend us. But there is a joy that comes when you know your life is being spent by Christ. There's a joy that doesn't come from this world. When you're spent by Christ, you give because you see the cross that He hung on. You see the price that He paid. And when He asks you to do something, you don't mind humbling yourself. It's just feet. I know they stink. I know they're nasty. I know they grow old and Bunions and toenails and all of that stuff. Can I just pray for him, Lord? We do that sort of proverbially speaking, too. Can I just give them a Chick-fil-A gift card and it be enough? (laughs) But maybe God wants us to serve them. Maybe there's a need in their home. Maybe there's a need in their life. 
And how many times do people come to church and walk in the doors and come to the house of God? We have needs. They have needs that they need help with. They're looking for someone. And yes, we got to have prayer meetings. We've got to pray, but we've also got to be willing to get up from the prayer meeting and be the answer to someone's prayer. I'm praying, God, send an angel, send a messenger for those people. But if I'm going to have the boldness to pray that prayer, then I've got to be willing to be someone's angel, to be someone's messenger, to be someone's servant. And I'm going to tell you, it's a good spiritual exercise. Some of the most powerful prayer meetings I've been in my life were in times of old-fashioned prayer and foot washing. You say, well, we don't have to do it. He wasn't saying that you got to wash feet. He was saying you got to serve people. Yes. But if I'm not even willing to get down and touch a foot that's probably not got mud and junk on it, if I'm not willing to humble myself and do that, am I really going to be willing to die for someone? Am I really going to be able to give? Now, you know, I, I... I I don't preach that you have to do this to go to heaven. Because what if you don't have feet? that's, that's, That's not something that God was putting in there. Last night we came and we gathered and I won't say, but one of them said, I'm not physically able to get down. And that's all right. That's not the point. The point is that we're here to pray for one another and we're here to serve one another. We're here to help one another. And what we have to have in the body of Christ is that spirit, that desire to serve one another. As a church, CTK, we have to be willing to serve one another. And I'm not saying that we don't. There are people in here that wash feet more ways than one. There are people that serve, and there are people that help, and there are people that... I'm going to tell you, you know why I'm here today? Because of the body of Christ. Because there were times in my life and times in, in my childhood and my upbringing where, where mom and dad couldn't be the answer for everything and we needed the body of Christ. And it was the body of Christ that came through. I, I can't tell you how many times I have prayed a prayer and needed an answer or a miracle and somebody in the church being sensitive to the Holy Ghost became the answer to my prayer. We've got to be willing to serve one another. So what's the big deal about foot washing? Well, God calls us to something very humbly. Humble. So as we practice this, I know there's people saying, oh, Pastor, I I don't know what in the world's going on. I I don't know that I could be there. I don't know that I could come for that. And I know there were people that had anxiety at our men's, not, not at it, but... I don't know, maybe some of the men that were here had anxiety. I don't know, too, about it. I know there's people that have anxiety about something else, and it seems a little weird to the world, but I do believe that it is a powerful spiritual exercise. And I think that the Bible gives us license to practice something. But what it does not give us license to do is just to gather together, put our clean feet in wet water, dry them off, and then get in our cars and go back home and never minister to one another and say, check that box. It's done. Because that's not what Christ is calling us to do. 
Can you pull up that quote that you shared the other day? I know you shared a quote. Was it yesterday or something? Yeah. And, I, and I'll leave you with this. He says, if ye know these things, happy are ye that do them. If ye know these things, happy are ye that do them. My wife shared a quote yesterday, and I thought this was really beautiful. And I thought that this last verse, you can put that last verse. I think it's verse, is it verse 17? If ye know these things, happy are ye if ye do them. I feel like this verse is played out in this quote. It said, maybe sometimes you have to know when you have to know Jesus in order to understand why some people devote their whole lives to him. I've heard people say it was crazy. I've heard their complete bewilderment at the thought of such sacrifice. But maybe genuine love for Jesus manifests itself in sacrifice. And will you really know Him and you recognize what He did for you, it changes you. To an unbeliever, living for Christ might seem like a life gone to waste. But to a believer, someone who's really and honestly known Him, often no other life will do. I think that quote's great, but I, I think what this verse is saying is that if you know these things, happy are you if you do them. I've never heard somebody on their deathbed say, I gave too much. I've never heard anybody on their deathbed say, I spent too much time in prayer. I spent too much time doing this or doing that. Unless, of course, it was that they were running from something and it was to the neglect of the ministry of their home or something that came first. But to someone that truly gave their life, I've never heard anybody say, I wish I hadn't given as much. But I have heard so many people say, I wish I could have given more. I wish I had another life to give. I wish I could do something again. I, I've heard people get to their life, Brother Blake, I don't, I don't know how many, maybe you could testify of this, said, I wish I had more to give. I wish I had another life to give for the cause of Christ. Because when you give your life to Christ, you know it still pales in comparison to what He's done for me. Would you stand together with me tonight? Verse 15, he says, For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. I think sometimes we don't know how to serve. We don't know what to do. We feel we read a passage like this and we're compelled we don't know what to do. How, how do I help somebody? Well, I think you have to be active in the body of Christ. And I think you have to stop just looking at your own needs and start looking for needs around you. And I can tell you this, that when you start ministering to those that are around you, there is a ministry that comes back to you 
every single time. I am so blessed and enriched by the church, by the family of God in my life. I'm blessed by this congregation. I'm blessed by those that pray for me. Told the men last night, each of them thanked them individually, personally for their support and prayer. I can feel it in my life. There's something powerful about getting up in the morning, no matter how early I get up, which sometimes is 5.30 or 6, and knowing that Brother Leonard's already prayed for me. And Sister Grover's going to be praying for me three times a day. There's something powerful about that. That's what makes being a part of the body of Christ so wonderful. And so when we come to church, we should come not just bringing our prayer requests, which we do have prayer requests, and we're supposed to bring our problems and our needs to the Lord, but we also ought to come ready to serve one another. And we will never serve those outside these walls if we're not at first willing to serve those within these walls. So I challenge you to walk slow through the church. Don't be late to come and quick to go. Stop and pause and ask somebody how they're doing. Let them tell you. Share your burdens with one another. Reach out to one another. When it's time of prayer, pray with one another. Worship with one another. There's something that makes it awesome. When you come in here and you worship by yourself, thank God His Spirit can meet you. But there's something powerful, Sister Brooks, when we can come in and there's other people worshiping and praying with us together. I want to be willing to serve not only the Lord, but I want to be ready to serve the body of Christ. And I want to be ready to serve others. Can we lift our hands toward heaven tonight? Come on, and can we ask God to help us? Lord, I pray tonight in the name of Jesus Christ. God, I thank you for every life, every individual, every person that is here. And I pray tonight by the power of your Spirit, God, let this Word be in our heart. Let this Word be in our spirit. God, let us live a life that is ready to serve. God, let us live a life that is willing to do the unthinkable, that is willing to set aside who we are and our comforts, God, that we could stoop to wash the feet of those around us, that we could pray for one another, that we could bless one another, God, that we could serve one another, that we could seek one another's well-being, that our desire, God, would be that someone else would be blessed around me. And not just my home and my family, God, and my situation. But God, I pray that you would bless, God, the body tonight. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, tonight. Thank you, Lord, tonight. Hallelujah, hallelujah. In the name of the Lord, I wonder right now, I don't want to invade anybody's space and I don't want to make anybody uncomfortable, but I wonder if you could find somebody else around you right now and just agree to pray with them right now.